comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. Ah! Don't just beat all boys. We got us a half-crazed boat hopper. Now see here. I don't know what kind of nonsense you're trying to... To pull here, but it's painfully uh, obvious. Oh, <laughs> I see. Uh, this is all part of the theme, right? Uh, sure. And you're just stage actors pretending to be filthy drunkards. <laughs> bravo, bravo, everyone. <laughs> Long live the theater. <laughs> Am I missing something here? Episode 267. Is this a five-minute argument or a full half hour? You have 30 minutes to move your car. Your car. You have 30 minutes to move your cube. Your cube. You are listening to a half hour wasted. Tonight's episode, the show must go on. House. They're back. We got the family in the house. Look at that. We got Sage running around not eating his pizza. We had him scared off for at a while. At least he has his pants on. Yes. We have uh, we have mom sitting down enjoying pizza. In, uh, at least she moment. has her pants on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, She's much more likely to have her pants on than him. Just, and we have Zoe uh, avoiding almond milk. Is that what she was avoiding? Looks like she's drinking it right yeah. now. Avoiding milk. Oh, yeah. So it was what? Almond milk, soy milk, whatever that stuff is. Yeah. That fake milk. Looks like she's drinking it right now. It doesn't come no, from cows. She doesn't, look, she doesn't look happy. No, and nor should she be. Zoe, are you drinking almond milk? What are you drinking? It's it's an almond milk. I thought it was soy milk. Are you being punished? No. Oh no! You you're drinking. Look, you're drinking it is slowly. It yummy? Is it yummy? Yeah. It's yummy? What are you doing over there, Bill? I'm trying to figure out where the volume is on this thing. Bill got a new computer. It's a new laptop. <coughs> Very happy about it. Yay! Does it have the internet on it? You know, all computers should have the internet. It. Uh, I finally got the internet. Yes. Welcome That's one reason why I had to get the new computer. Episode 267 of Half Hour Wasted. Before I forget, I just want to say, listeners, next week, episode 268, we're going to do a completely spoiler-filled review of Joss Whedon's The Cabin in the Woods. So, you have a week to see it or be spoiled when you yep. listen to next week's episode. And you will have had what? Two oh, or oh. three, you will have had three weeks to see it by oh, the time easy. this episode airs. So. A month, maybe. Okay, so, yeah, we don't feel too bad about this. And neither will you. So, my friend... Is this your spectacular story? Let me clarify. It's I said my possibly mind-blowing. Story. Oh, possibly mind-blowing, okay. My friend Chris, who I went to high school with... Um, <clears throat> who is a... <laughs> What, what are you doing? doing? What are you doing? <laughs> what, what, are you, what are you doing? That's, we have a universal thing. You you don't. <laughs> Thank you, Zoe. Though. 
That was funny. <laughs> she just came she in here with the laptop. She brought old computer in here. Yeah, apparently um, she, she thought thinks, this was yeah. the computer lab. Yeah. Uh-huh. So my friend Chris, who I went to high school with, and who also likes comics to this day. He, Do I know Chris? No, you've never met him. Okay. Actually, he was the guy who threw the idea out of, of us doing a half hour wasted TV show. Do you remember vaguely oh, remember that? I do yeah. remember that. Still a great idea. I don't think I don't think we ever talked about it on air, but it was a he public used, access show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I concept. He used to work for the city of Dallas. And, uh, oh yes, okay. Their, and it was that cable, idea that <laughs> that got him fired. The cable department. And what? No, it wasn't. Okay, and he, it was something um, completely separate. He uh, has since moved on. Anyways, so you're holding that microphone like you expect me to to pot it up so you can say something. I'm Is that what's going on I'm here? Wondered about that myself. Is that what's going on here? Huh? I'm doing something with my fingers. You're rolling the thing around. Okay. I'm going to... Okay, so, anyways, he goes, so, a friend of mine... This is Chris telling me. Yes. A friend of mine has a stepdad, and his stepdad was at the Quick Trip in Keller, Texas, which is where I live. Okay. Where I was went to high school. It's my hometown. Radio. So, and he said... Chris said, my friend's telling me that his stepdad was walking or walked into Quick Trip and there was an old gentleman at the counter signing something and he okay. got nosy and he walked up and this old man was signing a picture of Spider-Man okay and he said and this is recent yeah this happened like a few days ago okay he says, my stepdad said, who are you? And the guy says, I'm Stan Lee. <laughs> Where? In Keller. Wow. I thought you said Keller. I just, I had to, I had to Keller. hear that again. It's. Look, you're getting goosebumps. It's 15 minutes due west of the Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport. Right. So, he says. And long story short, apparently Stan Lee has a house in Keller. Oh wow. Stop it. Yeah. So why my, would Stan Lee have a house in Keller? Uh why not? I mean it's a nice part of town. He's got um multiple homes, I would imagine. Okay. So anyway, my friend Chris says, Well, you can imagine that I immediately went to the county tax assessor's website okay. <laughs> and was looking for Looked property the blueprints of his house related uh properly uh mm-hmm. looking at property registered in the name of okay. Stanley Lieber right and which is Stanley's real name yes. and he says I didn't find any under Stanley or Stanley Lieber okay but it, that doesn't mean anything but he did find registered. one under Seymour Butts I'm guessing yes right it could be registered under somebody else's name mm-hmm. so I said you know, yeah, right. I have no reason to doubt my friend Chris. Okay. But, again, he heard it from his friend. Oh. Who heard it from his stepdad. Hmm. So Chris is hearing okay. it secondhand. Yeah. 
That's where this game of telephone starts breaking down. It's about that third hand. Right. Now, yeah. I, I would like to bring this mm-hmm. is, up it turns to out that ruin it was, the story. It, it was is actually that, Stanley Tucci, not Stan Lee. <laughs> now, did Stan... Now, Stan Lee was obviously signing a comic book. Is that what you said? He said it was a picture of Spider-Man. So the person behind the register would have a picture of Spider-Man ready to go in case I Stan asked, Lee came I in? asked myself that question. Yeah. Why would the Quick Trip employee yes. have a picture of Spider-Man at, at his beck and call mm-hmm. waiting for Stan Lee to come in? I have an answer Unless... For that. He has seen Stan Lee come in there yeah. before. So, I mean, if so, Stan Lee really does live there and really has come in, maybe the guy said, wow, are you Stan Lee? And, and he said, yeah. Excelsior. And then he said, who's Stan would Lee? Mind, would you mind signing something for me in the DL next time you come in? Needless to say, I'm sending out the dogs. We're going to be sniffing well, the clues. Brad, you go to that quick trip in Keller and you ask them that. I'm going to camp out. How many? How many? Uh, how many Keller? How many quick trips are there in Keller? There's one quick trip in Keller. Okay. Show him the video of you ripping up Casada's uh, Spider-Man. So issue. He'll probably be uh, probably dumbfounded applaud. by technology. Is that a little TV in your hand? Let's think of something else. Tell him though. you're a superhuman. Of Let's some Let's think sort. of this. Um, coming up at the end of this month is the Dallas Comic Con. Yes. Stan Lee's going to be there. Really? So it's just a hop, skip, and a jump from his if house. If he lives in Keller. He can't skip anymore. He's very, very old. Hop, that skip, was, and a limp. Right. A hobble. A, hop. a hobble, skip, and a limp. Mm-hmm. The hop, trip, and a fall. Uh, yeah. And he was at a previous Dallas Comic Con. <laughs> so if he actually lives in this area part-time, yeah, it's very possible that yeah, well, he the might. guy who created Stan Lee, I'm sorry, the guy who created <laughs> Spider-Man... The guy who created Stan Lee is pro- more than likely dead at this point. Moon Knock Rock. Yes, but uh, the guy who created the Marvel Universe lives in my hometown well, on maybe occasion. We get, maybe we can get him on the show. Maybe so. Maybe I'll just start camping out at the Why quick the trip. Why the not? At the quick trip. Oh, Mr. You know, if Stanley, I see him Mr. this Stanley. week, uh, not this weekend, whenever the, the con is, <laughs> when it comes up, I'm going to say, hey, I live in Keller. Don't you live in Keller and yeah. frequent the Quick Trip? Huh. Yeah, they've got good cinnamon rolls, which they, they do, do, by the way. Now, those cinnamon rolls have gone back I, up from 49 cents, right? I don't know about that. Because they were 49 cents for a while, and those, by the way, I mean... Is your phone supposed to be lit up if it's charging? It's no Dunkin' Donuts. No? No. no. It doesn't what even kind have of a cell phone doesn't have a light on it when it's charging? It's a Samsung. Uh, that Take phone. it easy on them. It actually shows that it's charging, but there is no LED light. Your phone's Weird, pansy. Man. Look at how small his phone is. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's only got ice cream sandwich. That's all. I got a text message. Who's it from? It's from somebody, and I'm checking now. And who is it? It's uh, Facebook. Never mind. Oh, yeah. Here, in fact, hand me my oh, phone well. because I was waiting on a text. That's why I was worried about my... Brad was charging my phone. Charging. Nice so, of him. it's possible... That Stan Lee and I are neighbors. That is awesome. Oh, you can unplug it. I think I got enough charge to hold me through the show. Yeah. I'll just move the cable over so oh. you can have continued oh, wow. that's, charging. That's tripped me out. I didn't realize my uh, my new laptop. Uh, I should have realized it. It's got a speaker and a microphone built in. Yes. Or it's got a camera and a speaker built in. It's, it's got, got a, a webcam. It's got speakers. And uh, I thought I was recording um, the intro clip for this episode, and actually I was recording our conversation. 
interesting. Because hmm. I'm sitting there looking at the waveform bouncing. It's like, that's not lining up with what I know is so, going on in the movie. what's next on the agenda? Let's next see. On oh, the we agenda. were going to talk about Bill's Meyer Briggs. I took a uh, Myers Briggs test uh, recently. Now, for people who don't know, what is Myers Briggs? Well, it's a basically it's a personality assessment test. Um, it it, uh, it gives. It gives someone who wants to know more about you uh, a lot more information about you and hey, your, your proclivities. I'm sorry to interrupt, but it's kind of tangentially related. Yeah. I've been doing some thinking, and I've done my okay. own Myers-Briggs, Myers-Briggs. assessment mm-hmm. of, of the Half Hour Wasted program. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All three of us are complete morons, and I don't understand why any- Speak for you now. I don't understand why anybody listens to this show. Because- Frank Frank has dyslexia. Okay. I have a stuttering problem. Yeah. And you have diarrhea of the mouth. I just can't stop. Speaking of diarrhea, do you need a moment? Why does we can anybody listen to this program? Why does anybody make diarrhea? That's my question. There are people who are bored, Brad. That's gross. They're called the unemployable. Well... And that's who our listeners Thanks, are. Frank. Yes, I'm talking to you. No, you're talking to Brad and me is what <laughs> no, you're talking to. No, I said to. the unemployable, okay. not no, the unemployed. See, no, see, our listeners are listening to the podcast generally at their jobs, which I would like to have a job that afforded me the opportunity to listen to podcasts, by the way. I'll have you know mm-hmm. that we have at least one listener who listens to us at the gymnasium. Really? Yes. While they're getting in shape. I I'm at at his advanced age, I suppose he does as well as he can. I I um when it's it comes to when, when it comes to listening it's to Johnny music M. and oh. uh, when it comes to listening to music and um, podcasts, I cannot do podcast when I am, or I cannot listen to podcast when I am reading when you're pumping iron when I'm uh when I'm like writing and stuff like that. Right, I just can't do it. I can listen to regular music no. if it's down low. But it's but like when I'm doing Photoshop stuff, I have to do a lot of Photoshop stuff at my job. Right, I I can listen to podcasts like crazy. And oh yeah, I, I can totally make that division. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I mean, it's like um, uh, in uh, Scorsese's After Hours, uh, where uh, Griffin Dunn is. Uh, you pronounced that right? Did you hear that? Scorsese. He's trying desperately to get home after a bad date, and uh, he stumbles into bad um, date. yes, uh, he stumbles into a lady's house. And she's letting him use her phone. And as he's uh, trying to remember the phone number that he needs, um, she starts just randomly saying four, six, eight, <laughs> seven, as he's dialing the number on the old style phone. And three or four times he kind of hangs the phone up and goes, <laughs> you got me. That's great. That's great. Okay. He starts dialing the number again. Eight, seven, four, nine, three, two. And he I used to do that up. to my sister. He used to drive her crazy. Did you get it from After Hours? No, I just, I mean, that was something we did as yeah. a kid. Like when my sister would get to the phone and she dialed her number, I would just start yelling out numbers. I mean, it's, <laughs> I think it's a little kid thing. And, and she would get mad. Mom, tell him to stop that. <laughs> After oh. Hours, by the way, you want to talk about underrated. Uh, made in 1985. So this is before uh, Scorsese did a lot of his uh, his things. But uh it was um, after Raging Bull, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, this was this is was, but before he, he really before. before he became a true household name. He he'd made his mark with some great movies by this point. But oh, he after was God, not, after Goodfellas. Yeah, but he was not the um, he was not the absolute you know household name that that he became, um, and it was not because of this either. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's got Griffin Dunn, Rosanna Arquette, Linda Fiorentino. 
um, John Hurd, uh, Cheech and Chong, Catherine O'Hara, Terry Garr. Um, it's got a uh, it's got an amazing cast. Um, yeah, and uh, just it's a very strange movie. I used, this is one of those movies so, I used to watch a lot. Anyway, Myers good times. So yeah, um, so in the process of trying to find a job. I've decided that um, you know going onto websites and uh, putting in applications is largely a waste of time. I think it satisfies uh, uh, the state of Texas's uh, requirements for work searches, mm-hmm. which is okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not uh, I'm not doing it in a flippant manner. I uh, am actually picking and choosing what I think might be proper fits for me and sending resumes to those companies. And uh, I've um, uh, the one the one person. The one contact back I've gotten from any of these resumes I've sent out was from the one job I applied for, which I thought I was truly unqualified for. And it was a um, uh, it was some kind of like uh, a director at a marketing firm. And I was like, there is no stinking way. That was the one person that uh, that wrote me back and said, I'd love to see a, a I'd love to see a reel of some of your producer stuff. And I wrote her back and said, well, I'm not a producer, but I'll uh, send you a link to my uh, director and editor reel. And, uh, you know, and, uh, needless to say, I scared her off and I haven't heard from her since. Hmm. So I got a call out of the blue last week. I make this as quick as possible. I swear. And it was a, a company, uh, who I'll go ahead and re- I'll let them remain nameless, but, uh, they're basically a headhunter firm. Uh, they, uh, they, on behalf of yourself, they go and try to find you a job. And so they wanted to set up a meeting with me. I said, where'd you get my name? They said, career builder figures. Um, but I said, what, you know, what is the worst that can happen? Is if they, they, are if they, they charging want, a fee for if this? They, if they want a check, I can walk out. Don't jump you know? to the end. Okay. Um, so um, I go in last week. I have a meeting with a guy who seemed very professional. And actually, we talked about video production for a little bit. Um, he, it didn't seem like a scam. It seemed very legitimate. Mm-hmm. The, the company clearly had been there for a while, you know, mm-hmm. with the offices. You know, they, were, they weren't folding chairs and stuff. You know, this wasn't like a boiler room. I mean, this is a real office. Um, there were other people there. It wasn't just me. Um, so, you know, I got some decent vibes off it. Um, we talked for half hour or so. And then he said, I want you to take a, uh, I want you to take a Myers assessment, uh, Myers Briggs assessment. And I want you to fill out this questionnaire. Also, I want you to take this home and I want you to fill this out for yourself. And I want you to take this other thing home and have your wife fill it out for you. Uh, try not to color her influences. Just give it to her. Just have her fill it out. So we did all that. Went back, uh, this morning and, um, uh, got this nice little packet here uh, from this, uh, this this nameless company, and the first half was about uh, me, um, uh, based upon the Myers Briggs assessment. <clears throat> the second half was about the company. But um, uh, if you all would like to know a little bit about me, William McGonnell, then uh, here we go. Um, it's a full page. I'll read it as fast as possible. Um, I am estimated to be between four and six percent of the American population. By the way. Which I thought I you looked familiar. <laughs> yeah, I don't get it. So there's like, uh, hey, yeah, I, I know, know you. I know. So there's like, there's like 13 million of me running around apparently, which I had no idea about. But it goes on to say, and, and I kept thinking, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, is this like a horoscope? I mean, because this basically feels like, um, um, this feels like the horoscope for an aquarium, which I am. Um, You're an aquarium? I am an aquarium. And a good one, too. All right. So it says, you usually make a great impression and often have a natural talent for getting people excited about your ideas. 
Charming, outgoing, and friendly, you are extremely perceptive and skillful at communicating with all kinds of people. You possess the ability to see the big picture and anticipate trends, a willingness to take reasonable risks, and enormous confidence. Your enthusiasm is infectious, and you are often able to persuade others to join you in your always innovative and often successful ventures. You may not always pay close attention to important details, or you may grow bored after the initial creative phase of the project has been completed, or tend to ignore the important follow-through on the many commitments you make. It is definitely the thrill of the chase rather than having obtained the prize that is most exciting, energizing, and satisfying. You also like to please people and have a strong need to be liked. Comfortable occupying center stage, you enjoy demonstrating your cleverness and sophisticated language skills, which usually include an impressive vocabulary and penchant for puns. Wow, you're making that part up. Eager to entertain your many friends and acquaintances, you are often funny, witty, and an engaging storyteller. Mm, Halfway through. With a little experience, you are also a superb negotiator who knows how to use your strategic thinking skills to get what you want. I'm going to, you want that pizza? Despite your outward charm and facility with people, you are ultimately a pragmatic decision maker capable of analyzing situations objectively, weighing the pros and cons dispassionately, and making decisions that are politically expedient. Do I want a Coke or Dr. Pepper? You are very flexible and adaptable and able to turn on a dime and go in the opposite direction if the situation calls for it. Neither particularly liberal nor conservative by nature, you are aware of the rules of the game and are a master at bending them to suit your purpose. I hate politicians. Final paragraph, coming to the home stretch here. Curious and open-minded, you are extremely process-oriented, referring, uh, preferring to continue collecting data and keeping your options open as long as possible. But because you so dislike closing off options, you may have difficulty making decisions or sticking with choices already made. You may develop a reputation for being indecisive. Fortunately, most often you are smart enough to recognize this destructive potential, learn from your mistakes, and change your behavior, and usually, when you focus even a bit of your considerable talents, you reap great rewards. Something tells me that they would I was really hoping for some every one of there. their their uh, clients a positive. Oh well they're not gonna you. say you're a hopeless clod, go away <laughs> now. Um uh, so Hitler, I read through this. Yeah, you, yeah, you're not really a people person, yeah. but um, you have skills we can work but with. But you're a really but, good strategist, mm-hmm. you know. But you don't work kind of well under pressure. Yeah, you you're good you're at motiv- kinda, you're kind of racist. You're good at motivating people, and you're an, an interesting strategist. Um, um, you're an artist too. So as I'm reading through this, I'm thinking this feels very horoscopy. It feels vague enough to apply to many people in many different situations. There were a couple things there that I thought were pretty much spot on. I don't know how, unless it was something that... Because I remember um, I, I started using this phrase a little bit more recently um, that I am, I kind of consider myself politically agnostic these days. Meaning that that I think that the far left and the far far right are both just as screwed up as possible. And the only hope this country has is of the moderate center of the country reclaiming the leadership of this country when that'll happen. I have no idea because, um, the, the, the lunatic fringe are the ones that yell the loudest and they're the squeakiest wheels. And you know, they're the most prone to, uh, engage followers because people want dynamic, you know, leadership, yada, yada, yada. So the moderate, uh, rational people in the middle who do not, who do not, uh, you know, clamor for positions of power, uh, are generally the ones who are most um, most equipped to handle you know um, stuff like that. Anyway, um, so a lot of this I thought was very 
very vague. Um, you know, obviously I'm sitting there reading all this stuff about myself going, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, but there were a couple of passages that I thought were, were interesting. Um, the, the one about, um, uh, the one about me being uh, kind of neither this way or that way was good. Um, the one that, that really kind of caught me was, um, but because you so dislike closing off options, you may have difficulty making decisions or sticking with choices already made. And all I can think of as I'm reading that, that uh, sentence is me standing on the cereal aisle at Walmart. <laughs> as I spend about 15 minutes trying to pick out a box of cereal. Captain Crunch. Well, there, I mean, you know, there's so many positive things about this box of cereal. But this box of cereal, I like the color scheme on it. But this box of cereal has a lower price. There's so many factors that go into this choosing a cereal box that it's hard to tell sometimes which is the most obvious and proper choice. I so. usually go with, th- I get three. I have three different types of cereal. Okay. And, I, and I do a suicide. I mix all three together. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I like cereal. Okay. Mm. Cereal is good, man. Yeah. I do. I, it's great I midnight usually, snack, too. I usually do some type of brand. Yes. Sometimes a graham mm. crackery type of okay. uh, cereal. All right. Like Golden Grahams or okay. something like that. See, and I then, used to eat Golden Grahams when I was a kid. I didn't even realize I still made that stuff. Sugar, like uh, um, Frosted Flakes or some type of sweet one. But I use that oh, sparingly man. because my sweet tooth is... God, is, I, could, <laughs> I could eat a box of Frosted Flakes. Mm-hmm. Easy. Yeah. So delicious. So my suggestion is mm-hmm. to get three. And yeah. Combine. And, you know, usually I do get three. Um, if it was up to me, uh, crunch berries would be on the menu um, pretty much every time out. Um, but uh, I usually uh, and the family has developed a, a particular affinity for cinnamon toast crunch mm-hmm. that that it will get devoured as if uh, being attacked by hyenas mm-hmm. in this house. Come here, wife. So that's good. That's good. So uh, we're, we're going over to Meyer Briggs. So you wanted to. Uh, so this is all this is all nothing but a prelude to what the show's actually about today. Okay. Well, th- wait, did you have more about that? No, the, I read the oh, entire okay. thing. I told you I'd get through it as fast as possible, which is why I kind of sped up in some parts and slowed down for emphasis in others. So, so for the remainder of the show, we were going to bring in. Yeah. Uh, My point, though, is uh, I really want someone to uh, 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 collect Brad and myself and score us some killer gigs. Yes. Yes. Or at and, least tell us. If they've ever used this service. You know what? That's actually a great point. Sash and I, uh, when we got home, um, I started looking up this, the particular company on the internet, on the interwebs, because it's like, uh, once, by the way, um, to answer your question, Frank, I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Uh, thank you for leading me back mm-hmm. to this. Um, yes, they do want money for this service. This oh, is not. Yeah. He hadn't they, got to that part no, yet. No, I'm, I'm not even going to say how much it is. Suffice to say, it's it's a month's salary for someone who has a really good job. Um, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's uh, uh, Bill, kind of off topic, but I have used a headhunter service before. Yeah. And usually what happens is they have negotiations with. With, right. or deals with companies where the company pays them and, for finding the talent. Exactly. Clearly, so. this guy has a dog in the hunt. This this mm-hmm. Nick fellow with this company, um, but you know clearly. they're they're gonna like a good car salesman. He's gonna have an answer to any objection, or you know not not literally an objection, but any any question you have, he's going to have an answer for because that's his job to do so. Mm-hmm. And I did say, you know, I we, we talked about this. And I thought it odd that you want me to pay you. Generally, it's the the firm, you know, exactly. the the it's the hiring company who pays the headhunter firm to hire the guy or girl, as the case may be. Um, 
And he said, well, yes, many firms, if not most firms, um, which he called um, uh, consignment uh, consignment firms or mm-hmm. uh, consignment headhunting, basically, where they don't collect a penny from you. They collect it from the from the job itself. Uh, he said they oftentimes can ask for a third of your salary, a third of your first year salary from the company you are getting hired at. So say, you know, if you get a, a you know, if you get a forty five thousand dollar year job, then this company is going to want fifteen thousand from the company that's hiring you. And so he said one of the things that that gives us a leg up is because, you know, we will negotiate, you know, we will help you negotiate a salary. We will help you find a job and we will we will uh, not necessarily be there sitting there like your lawyer during the negotiation process. But but they will have plenty of advice for you, whatever training for you. And one of the things they do try to do is they try to negotiate uh, the inclusion of the, the fee you pay the search firm. Uh, you get the company to pay the search firm back, and then if the search firm, uh, if the company pays the search firm the money, they will refund the money uh, that you have paid the search firm itself. That, and it's that a lot been, less. That, that has been my experience with with, okay. um, with like a true headhunter. Yeah, it's it's usually it's usually for um, uh, certain types of groups, certain type of individuals. That uh, with certain skill sets that yeah. that they're looking for. There's one particular one I worked with called the Creative Group, and uh, and they you know they were mm-hmm. they were the type of people who are looking people with for production skills and stuff. Like okay, that. I don't know if they're still around anymore actually, but um, but they were very helpful and and they they sent my name out to you know they really? ma- they matched me up with people and you know I got at least two interviews. Okay, because honestly, you, you know what? After the show's over, remind me to ask you if these, mm-hmm. what this. What these people's address are, um, because I'd like to talk to them. If so, um, my thing is that, you know, the vast majority of the resumes I've sent out have been to, you know, click the apply now button on this, this, uh, this web link. And it goes to some faceless HR, you know, department. And, you know, like, like this cat Nick said, you know, uh, a lot of those jobs posted on the internet have either already been filled or, you know, or most of them have just already been filled. Um, Either that or they're so desperate that um, it might not be a job you want anyway. And, you know, whatever. I, I get that. Um, but my big issue has been literally trying to get just a face-to-face meeting, you know, just literally a sit-down interview with these companies. Because I've sent resumes out to jobs I'm, I think I'm, you know, well, well suited for or overqualified for or it would be a minor career change. But one, I'm, I'm absolutely, my resume indicates I should be able to handle no problem. Um uh, there's one uh, uh, Capital One. Uh, Capital One has a uh, convention uh, facility, um, some kind of a meeting facility, uh, and it's just man, it's like ten minutes from the house. It would be yeah. perfect. Um, and they're looking for like audio, video, text uh, to work in this uh, convention facility, and they were looking for an AV uh, like a manager at one point. It's like that is something I should at least be able to get an interview out of this. It would not be wasting their time to say, okay, let's at least sit down with this guy for 20 minutes and find out if he's a loon or a goof or uh, the answer to our prayers or or whatever. And um, so it kind of bothers me that, you know, you send these out and nothing comes back. You know, you, you might get the, you know, the automated, thank you. We received your, you know, you are now in the system and, you know, frankly, it's bothersome. So the, the big thing for me trying to find a gig is just trying to get in front of someone's face. I mean, because a resume, no matter how good it is, um, and that's also a question. You know, I've, I've had 
some people take a look at my resume and you know, people have said it's too long. People have said it's, it's freaking amazing. And, and, you know, so I think that's a subjective thing. Um, but, uh, uh, I mean, but it, it can't, it can't give, you know, a true measure of your personality, uh, your demeanor, you know, the, the confidence you might or might not show. Um, you know, I just, I don't think you can, you can do an effective work search without sitting down in front of people's faces. And that's one of the things this, this search firm says that they can absolutely do is, you know, the guy said, Hey, you know, our job is to find jobs for people. You know, we know the ins and the outs. We know everything there is to know about trying to find a job. And that I thought was one of the most uh, enticing parts of this interview I had. And one of the things that has me truly torn about, you know, whether to pay them, you know, this money, I'm leaning away from it, but, um, but we'll see. You know, I'll, I, I want, I was telling Sash, I wish I had, you know, unfortunately many of Many of the elders in my family have all passed away by now, so I don't have grandfathers, great uncles. You know, I don't have people with great amounts of life experience that I can necessarily ask. You know, I, I don't, I don't really know where where a mentor might be that can you know help me through this this thought process. So anyway, by by the time people hear this, uh, I'm sure it will be a uh, you know it will be decided one way or the other. So you know, if you've got advice for me, you know, I will gladly accept it. But uh, you know. Anyway, okay. we'll talk about it off air. Yeah, so good. So uh, on to, um, you know, thank you for listening to my uh, my screed, my plea, my whatever you want to call it. But uh, no, we're, we're not here to talk about me. <laughs> That's but, where Brad puts in the chirping crickets or the <laughs> applause or the whatever. Um, um, but no, we're here to talk. Uh, we're here talk to talk about Sash. something much more important. Hello. Hey, Sash, hey. how are you? Hi there. I'm so, tying a string to a cup. So yeah, it looks like you're talk. making one of those old-fashioned uh, phones. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. The cup-to-cup phone for, for a sake. Oh, okay. <laughs> there we go. That's a cicada. <laughs> um, and he's not happy. <laughs> so, uh, so Sash, now, um, you are also an actress. Yes. Uh, actress. Would, uh, professional? Yeah, professional actress, okay. Mm-hmm. When and we hold microphones, we hold them in front of our mouths. Yeah, like a I'm professional. I'm trying to create a telephone. Well, I can help you with oh, the mic thing. Okay. So, uh, so recently you had a pretty big part. No, um, I had a I had a an okay part in a pretty big play. Yeah, and tell us what was the name of the play? August Osage County at and Water Tower Theater. Now, tell us a little bit about the plot of the play. Um, okay, it's about a dysfunctional family that's from Oklahoma, and I don't think I'm giving away too much, and you would read this on almost anything review you would read. Um, the patriarch, the father, um, goes missing, mm-hmm. and so it brings everybody home, all the older daughters that have already, you know, they're in their, like, 40s. Or um, they've all come home, and um, anyway, there's a lot of... Uh, the the mother the the matriarch she's addicted she uh, takes a lot of pills and there's just a lot of chaos and craziness that mm-hmm. happens in the family and uh, and I think it's okay to say because this happens it's, very when early I in the film. It, it sounds kind of boring, but it's yeah. actually pretty exciting. Well, well it's the, it's a Pulitzer Prize winning play mm-hmm. just yes. just by the by. And and uh, a lot of a lot of the play circles around the the missing father who disappears very early. Yeah, he, in he's the play. what brings everybody together. Yeah. Now, um, now you played basically the um, I don't I know if housekeeper the, is the right word. Yeah, she was a housekeeper. She was hired as the housekeeper uh-huh. and to help uh, Violet, the the Pill mother, popper. Mm-hmm. 
like drive her to the clinic and stuff because she has cancer. Right. And she has nursing experience, and so she, you know, supposedly could help in a situation like that where a nurse might be required or someone with nursing, a little now, bit of background. Now, I've seen you perform before, and in this play, you, you, uh, you're you supposed to play someone of Native American uh, uh-huh. yeah, uh, background. Yeah, was my character. She was a Cheyenne Indian. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, and, and she's very uh, rooted in her, in her, in tradition yes. and whatnot. And she is... Um, she, you played her very stoic, Thank you. very quiet, very um, only what needs to be said. And and where did you get that direction? Why why was the character portrayed that way? Ooh. Well, I'd say she was written that way. Mm-hmm. She just spends a lot of her time listening, mm-hmm. and she is a caretaker. And um, caretakers, of course. Um, you know, it's I don't know. That's an interesting question. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, it's written that way. Um, also, I, I was directed to that she needs to be different than everyone else, and everyone else is pretty off the wire. They're pretty. Every yeah. everyone else is kind of out there. Yeah, uh, they wear their emotions be, on their sleeves. Yeah, she needed to be more of a foundation. Mm-hmm. A uh, can I just stable? Can I read this description? Mm-hmm. Uh, your character was Jana Monavada. Uh, the Native American live-in housekeeper. She is hired by Beverly just days before his disappearance. Beverly was the patriarch of the family. The, he was the man. Uh, she may not have many lines, but she is the most compassionate and morally grounded of all the characters. She claims to stay in the caustic household simply because she needs the job, yet there are times when she swoops in like a warrior angel saving characters from despair and destruction. <laughs> she nice. would, I like that. I, I would say that you play um, probably... In that last scene of the play, which I guess any last scene is is important in a play. Yeah, but I don't know play, if we want to give away too much, but not, I don't know. But it's a but it's a it's a vital role in the sense of like uh, grapes of wrath that mm-hmm. that type of of ending mm-hmm. where it's just like uh, you're not quite sure how to interpret it, but yeah, but it is a caring scene and it is a loving scene, but it is an unexpected scene. Mm-hmm. Um, how let's talk about let's go ahead i mean this is a okay. let's just All talk right. about so so in in the end uh, this woman who is the mother uh, mm-hmm. the mother who is a pill popper who has lost pretty much everything because of her own accord um she's all her family members one by one have, have left her she falls into your arms and you hold her like a child mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. um because i guess she has nowhere else to go right um I mean, that's a, a a heightened motion of de- moment of despair. I mean, she's at the pinnacle of her despair at that moment because they're all gone. So, and talk a little bit more about that, about the, the despair that she's feeling, and, and what type of what type of direction did the? Uh, well, the, okay, for one thing, it's written. We do it almost verbatim the way it's written. Mm-hmm. Um, but oh, I don't remember a lot of direction. She's a really gifted actor, um, Pam Daughtery, and she. Uh, her instincts were right on and she just did what she felt right. So there wasn't actually a lot of direction other than placement because the sight lines weren't so great way up there in the attic. Mm-hmm. Um, he he just, he wa- he wanted a certain picture and we gave him the picture and then motivated it um, however needed to be. And for her, you know, it, it is the climax of the play. Everyone's gone and, and she's completely sad. And 
you know, when you think about nurses, um, and not not that John is a nurse, she's had some nursing training and she cares for people, and it is in Na- Native American culture. Um, it is a point of honor to take care of people. It's it's considered you're wealthy. It's almost like a sign of wealth in that your ability to take care of people, um, especially for women. And so it's a point of honor for her to do this. And so I think that's another reason why she stays, why Jonna stays, because she's treated some, kind of badly, a little bit badly. Um, anyway, um, I was going somewhere with this. Well, we were talking about the, about the ending. And uh, I, I mean, g- g- give your interpretation of the ending, which is this. Oh, oh. anyway, what I was going to say is if you've ever been in the hospital or visited people in the hospital and, the nurses are the ones who care for people the most, and yet they are the most mistreated. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think that just kind of goes along with that. And I'm try- I'm playing up nurse too much here. She's not a nurse. She's the housekeeper, but she has some nursing training. But the point is she's a caretaker. She cares for people, and she cares for the house, and she takes pride in this. And she she's like a mom. I mean, kids mistreat their moms but always go to them when they cry, the mm-hmm. same kind of thing. That's the way I look at it. You know, there, there's a lot of dysfunction, and she causes a lot of it. Yeah. She really does uh, seem to um, enjoy creating drama, mm-hmm. which, you know, just by saying certain things and stuff. There's a whole dialogue in the play about um, using the politically correct term of Indian mm-hmm. or Native American. Mm-hmm. And when you're in the room, she would talk that up mm-hmm. to kind of get, I guess, a rise out of you or something. Mm-hmm. I'm based working on the play and stuff like that. What was her, what do you think her, I mean, what do you think the playwright was trying to, to say with that? Uh, I think he was just playing her honest. A lot of people kind of think that way. And actually Mm -hmm. I prefer the term American Indian and I use the term Indian because I was raised as an Mm -hmm. Indian and then I was told as an adult, no, you're a Native American. Um, So that's sort of a, a weird thing with me. I get, I get it. And I use Native American a lot as well just because it's part of today vernacular of today but um uh why does she say that it's just part of oklahoma it's not just oklahoma culture but there's a lot of people think that way especially her generation especially people who are self-absorbed and manic and and that's actually where i'm getting at so you think she's self-absorbed you think she uh, she she's a person who i mean what do you think drives that when you're that addicted and all she does is sit around and wallow in her pity and take pills and i mean i know it's an addiction but i mean yeah i would say she's self-absorbed okay um how'd you get the part um i had auditioned for the director renee marino in another play night of the iguana and um he asked me he's where i was from and i told him i was from oklahoma and in montana and he asked me if i was part native american i told him yes and then he said um told me about the part of Jonna, that she was Native American. He asked me to um, audition for the part. Mm-hmm. And so I did, and it was right at the same time that my mom was uh, put on hospice and passing away. So I didn't even get to make it to the callbacks. I did the audition, but not the callbacks. But um, fortunately, I got it, and I was really super pleased because it's a super huge honor to do a show at Water Tower, mm-hmm. t- to work with Bre- Renee Marino. And, 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 and Water Tower Theater this. is an uh, Addison, Texas, which uh-huh. is... Yeah, it's in Addison, but for mm-hmm. Dallas, it's one of the best theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and then this particular play is just it's a fantastic play really really great would you say water tower is one of the top five yeah top five theaters in dallas yeah possibly yeah top five out of six maybe top three (laughs) had a son (laughs) um you you told me a number of times about uh how amazed you were to be working with that particular cast oh my gosh even renee our director pointed out this is a very unique experience everything okay we rehearsed it for two and a half weeks before we had an audience so even though it was the three-week rehearsal process we had audiences at two and a half weeks so it was up on its feet at two and a half weeks that seems blindingly fast that is blindingly fast for especially for a three-hour show okay so it was boom 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 and he just he mentioned several times that um, it doesn't always go this smoothly. You know, this is a very unique experience. There were, there were no divas, no complainers, no... Everyone was so professional in every way and friendly and fun. And on top of that, ungodly talent. I mean, and then to put all that on top of this beautiful set and this Pulitzer Prize-winning play, and um, you know what I mean? Every, yeah. Everything was good. And I'm, I was just... I know that I'll probably never have this theatrical experience again. Wow. Just because to have that many things go right. And I, I mean, you know, I wasn't in the audience or whatever, but I mean, from my perspective and fr- pretty much from the cast too, everyone would just ke- kept trying to savor the moments. And that word was used a lot. I, I personally was pretty blown away when I saw it. I, I, it took me about, I don't know, about a minute or two into the play to think to myself, okay, so this is what a Pulitzer Prize winning <laughs> play, you know, sounds mm-hmm. like. Um, it, it wasn't so much the author. It was the, uh, it was the script. Um, uh, we've also had, um, some of our other, uh, in, in three hours, never once did I think, are we, are we through yet? <laughs> um, it just, well, it, it when kept, I me, went, kept when me wrapped I, up the entire time. When I went to go see it, uh, I went to go see it with one of our listeners, Dennis Pooh. Hey Dennis. And, and he, um, and we were talking about it and, uh, Dennis, I don't think so. no, no stuff didn't make oh, it. St- okay. All right. And, and Dennis, um, and I were talking about the play and we we're talking about the time. And I guess I mentioned it was three hours or something. And a woman turned around and supported the play started. She goes, it's three hours. <laughs> I yeah. And I said, that yeah. And, and I could see her going, oh. but I don't know. You know, I'm sure she enjoyed it. It was fun. I had fun. Just like there Bill were said. some walkouts probably every night. Um, I mean, there is a lot of cursing. I don't think there was a walkout and the night I was there, but there, and there was, it's just, emotionally wrenching i mean it is emotionally hard and so i think for some people they just don't want to have to live it and deal with it i mean i I dealt with that when i went to see anne frank there it's like oh i don't want to go back after intermission because i know what happens Mm. (laughs) you know (laughs) but i did i'm i uh i hope this isn't giving away too much i don't think it is uh but the uh the first two acts um there's a lot of there's a lot of black comedy sprinkled in i mean there yeah, are it's considered a tragic comedy yeah there it's tragic but it's humorous there are parts where the audience is is laughing sometimes uproariously at what's <laughs> going on um the third act um not as much uh the third act is when everything you know the pigeons really come home to roost and and the the actions this is what happens when they're left alone. the actions <laughs> really you know the consequences of actions really start to uh to to be uh to, to bear their fruit and so the the third act is a lot more tragedy than comedy um uh, dennis Pooh sent us an email yes. on his thoughts of it you want to read it Bill? i yeah i read this uh, myself and, and i thought 
I, I thought, wow, Dennis, uh, you could uh, you could write for uh, write for a couple of newspapers I've read. Um, so he uh, Dennis uh, says uh, saw it with Frank a couple of weekends ago, and he asked me to share some of my thoughts. I thought the production level was very high. It's hard not to be impressed when they build half a house for a single play for stage play. I like the acting. The actor certainly evoked humorous and uncomfortable reactions from me, which I take was the intent of the play. I prefer more understated acting, but that's not always possible in live production where actors have to project. I came into the play not knowing anything about it beforehand, so I didn't know what to expect. There were a few times where I was not sure if some humorous parts were unintentionally so. Later, I read that this was a dark comedy, but it took me until maybe a third of the way into the play to get that. It starts off pretty earnest, I think, and held back, uh, and I held back in laughing in some parts in case I wasn't really supposed to. Um, cell phone interruption uh, was notable. Uh, initially, I did not know that it was part of the play. I thought it was a thoughtless audience member, which I found unnerving. I then realized it was part of the play, and it was supposed to be unsettling for another reason. Then I recognized the ringtone. It made me. Uh, it made things about a billion times funnier, but only Frank and me, and we knew it. If I could summarize the effect of the play on me in one moment, it would be that moment. The play reminds me of elements of Streetcar Named Desire, Death of a Salesman, Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf, Oedipus Damn, Rex. Dennis. Oedipus Rex Light. That said, Shoot. I think some parts of it went over my head. I wasn't exactly sure uh, what I was supposed to take from the play. If this is a straight drama, uh, I think it would be easier for me to concentrate on the characters. The play didn't strike me as a farce, though there may have been a couple of moments that bordered on it. If it was more overly comedic, I think it would have been easier for me to identify what concept was being ridiculed. I mostly view this as a drama with comedic elements, so I may have been on the wrong mindset. It was a very engaging play, and I felt invested in the leading characters and their development. For me, it was a challenging play because I don't think I have figured it out yet, but I care enough to still want to figure it out, so I'd call the play a success. Huh. That, that was very okay. nice, Dennis. I, I, wow. Very well written, very thoughtful. Yeah. You know? And that ringtone he's referring to is the uh, Sanford and Son theme, mm-hmm. which is. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> was like at one point my, my theme, you know. Was it? Uh, yeah. Well, it was, that, it was uh, after the According to Jim. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's funny. I never made that connection. Really? Um, yeah. I, I guess I, I don't know. I, I guess I was in a, a different mindset too. It was, it was very interesting uh, for me. I'll try not to steal the show here, but um, you know, of course, I had a bias going into the play. There you go. Nice. But the play opens um, with the professor on stage with the patriarch. The play ends with Sash and the matriarch, and mm-hmm. so. She bookends the play and is kind of the emotional center. I won't. I don't know if I'd say the core, but um, but yeah, she's kind of the the anchor upon which everything kind of rotates around. Sage didn't see the play, so he's not qualified. He to saw the review. fight call. Did you yes, like the fight call at the theater you saw the other day when they when I hit that guy with the frying pan? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, thank you. <laughs> yeah, you All do right. hit. Okay. You, you do hit. You do, you do hit a lurch with a. Oh, Sage is most succinct. That's pretty fun. I need the whole cup broke. The oh, cup no. broke on his telephone. Oh, oh no! Hello, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, so what's next for the professor? <laughs> Not, well, for theater, I need to get out there and audition okay. because with this show, there was a lot of notoriety and whatnot so i need mm-hmm. to get out there and audition but i don't have i haven't so i don't have anything theater wise mm-hmm. uh but i am going to be teaching with tarrant county community college this summer and possibly in the fall and also with colin college and teaching with rover drama works and drama kids so that's four jobs 
Um, and then, you know, sewing my shawls for this upcoming powwow for the uh, the one-year birth. Is that a euphemism for something else? <laughs> no, it's actually not. sewing shawls. I'm selling my shawls. Selling my, I'm if sewing my shawls for the white, bu- the birth of the white buffalo, hmm. which is a, a sacred ceremony, and there's a big powwow, and it's right hmm. here in North Texas. Now, I know you take your, your uh, ancestry very seriously, but do you feel maybe it hinders on what type of roles you can get? Like, are no. you always going to be? Oh, no, no, no. I mean, shoot, I'm I'm pretty Caucasian-y looking, just kind of tannish. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I had to put on extra makeup and dye my hair just to add to the effect. Oh, know? really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. I thought it was... Uh, they could have chosen someone a lot who looked more the part yeah. than me, mm-hmm. and I kind of was afraid I wasn't going to get it for that reason. But I did grow up with that, so I knew... I basically behaved like many people that I grew up with. I had a couple of different people in mind. And the way I used my voice and the way I stand and even the way I listened. And um, so pretty much a combination of my aunts and uncles and just the general demeanor of a lot of Native Americans up in northern Montana you know, is what I went off of. What it reminded me of, uh, and this obviously is in its own way, I don't mean this literally, but... Uh, um, and I didn't see the entire movie. Sash maybe watch uh, a couple bits of it. But uh, Heath Ledger in uh, Brokeback uh, Mountain. I remember you telling me that oh, yeah. that you thought that his his acting performance in that I movie was amazing because he, he absolutely seemed he like he acted like a Montana cowboy to me. Because yeah. I grew up with real cowboys, not guys that wear cowboy hats, but mm-hmm. real cowboys, and real Montana cowboys too. Yeah, real Montana cowboys and. He really did act like a Montana cowboy, so understated, and it was really good. Whereas the other guy, Gyllenhaal, he just kind of, you, you know, did the, the stereotypical. I'm listen. about to kick your son, by the way. Get him. Now, uh, through, throughout the play, you're in uh, virtually every scene in the play. Almost every scene, yeah, almost. And in some of those scenes, you don't have lines, but you are there. Um, mm-hmm. At times, you're washing the dishes. At times, you're actually taking a nap. You're go- reading a book and taking a nap. <laughs> right. So as an actress, how do you fill the void when you're doing something like The Dishes? Um, it's so funny. So much of that kind of stuff is what I was more stressed about than lines because a lot of what I do had to be timed exactly right. Um, like when I would go get the bottle of wine and get a plate and, and all these things. So all that for me was specifically choreographed. Some of it was specifically told to me and then the rest I sort of would choreograph myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what I did because, um, yeah, I mean, I had a, and then once I did it, I would do it exactly the same every single time. And what was weird is even in the dark, I would somehow pick up the book and it would always be right side up. I don't know how that happened <laughs> every single time. I kept thinking it's going to be upside down. No. <laughs> at the risk of asking you to be self-serving i, I don't want you to be if you, if you don't want to answer uh, it, it's cool but um i heard from more than one person that uh that the traveling uh that the, the original broadway performance uh broadway performers um went traveling maybe we just edit this out Okay. Well, I, I, did, I did hear several times that our performance, this, a lot of people did prefer ours. But, you know, people say things. Well, I think that has more to do with the fact that that your performances, your accents, your mannerisms and stuff were more, North Texas, were more true to the right. area of the country. Right. Whereas theirs may have been a little bit more acting. Yeah, yeah. Probably like. And that's what I mean. By probably that. when I try to do New York dialect 
to, to New Yorkers, yeah. it probably sounds really ridiculous. Just like when someone down here, someone from New York tries to do an Oki accent, yeah. they, they, it just, it's not, it's a stereotype. Yeah. yeah, and I think that, that that was my point. It's not that, uh, not that people on Broadway can't act. It's that they didn't capture the but essence But I didn't see of, it. I'm just, uh, well, I saw some clips and I would go, well, that's not really an Oki accent. That's just kind of like a kentucky or something yeah. i don't know <laughs> so i'll say it for you I, I thought it was interesting that that some people um preferred your cast over the original broadway actors cool. yeah. so interesting not that that's a definitive you know definitive call one way or the other but, it, but just I to give do. you an idea of the quality of the cast that you were working with i mean true i would have to say that we probably gave them a run for their money just yeah. because i working with them i mean I, would, I loved every second of being on stage. I would watch the other actors. I would stay in character, but at the same time, just be in awe of them. Really, favorite, I mean, every moment. Uh, favorite character in the play, other than yours? No, I don't have a favorite character. Um, I, you know, it'd probably have to be Ruby's character, the teenager, um, only because in my mind, I felt like I was watching over her. Okay. Like yeah. I was and always she, looking to see if she needed assistance, and I mm-hmm. come in to help her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for my um, now that actress in the play, she's supposed to be fourteen. How old is she in real life? She's fifteen and extremely Are wise you serious? and mature beyond her years, and she's extremely talented. She goes to Booker T. Washington, and uh, that's she's an, amazingly that's an talented. That's an arts magnet school yeah. in in Dallas, by the yeah. way. Yeah, and she actually studies music, voice, uh, singing, um, not acting. Um, she was just brilliant and wonderful. Wow, and so sweet. I I had just assumed that that was like a nineteen or twenty. Nineteen, yeah. twenty. Me year too. Old. Me too. Yeah. 15. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, so it was amazing casting and um, uh, amazing writing and uh, the character's name was Jean. I don't know why yeah. I didn't say that. <laughs> the, uh, the the director is uh, one of the better directors that uh, Dallas has to offer. <laughs> Great to work with. <laughs> Sage just walked in with the skeleton mask. There is smoothie making going on, which means I'm going to be cleaning for a while. Okay. Well, how yeah. about how about we wrap up? You guys okay, want to wrap Sage. up? Anything else? Thank you so much for being on the show, Sash. I think this is the first time we actually had an interview with yeah. you. Oh, I've been in in and out. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, congratulations. I mean, I I hope that uh, you're able to find a, a a role somewhere down the road that uh, that that does this to you because I I could tell you know every night you came home. Um, that I was still awake. Um, you just, you know, you, you just you glowed from from the from the whole process. You know, not just being out there on stage, but just you know, you thoroughly enjoyed the process, uh, not just the result. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, you know, I'm I'm so glad that uh, that you got the feedback that you got from people in the the lobby, from other professionals. From you know, uh, many if not most of your your colleagues and friends came to see you in this, and um, yes, thank you, know, you to everyone who saw it. Really, that meant a lot. Yeah, just mm-hmm. richly, richly deserved, uh, richly, richly rewarding experience that was richly deserved. And uh, congratulations to you. It was absolutely my pleasure to take care of the kids for six weeks. <laughs> Thank you, honey. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> I just snorted. Okay. And I guess with that, thank you yeah, for but listening. Yeah, it's cute when you do it. Right. Bye. Okay. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you for listening to a half. Oh wait, hour before wasted. we uh, before we go, oh. we need to throw in a couple of normal show elements. Oh. Hang on a second. There we go. <laughs> 
Uh, thank you for listening to a half hour wasted. Did you like some proud hot buffalo wings um, uh, pretzel pieces? Proud member of the HHWLOD network. Be sure to leave us a voicemail at 972-798-3830. You can also drop us an email at halfhourwasted.gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, half dot com. I got to say, these hot buffalo wings pretzel pieces are not going to interact well with the pepperoni <laughs> pizza I put down. Um, Until next I'm week. I'm already afraid. I'm Brad. I'm, yeah, I'm Bill. <laughs> and I'm Frank, Hello. and we'll see you next time on Half Hour Wasted. Right.